Welcome to Trevecca Community Church's Sermon Podcast Series. Each week we'll be streaming our sermon from within the sanctuary just for you. Hear the word of the Lord from Ezekiel chapter 2. He said to me, O mortal, stand up on your feet, and I will speak with you. And when he spoke to me, a spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Mortal, I am sending you to the people of Israel, to a nation of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants are impudent and stubborn. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they shall know, and there has been a prophet among them. And you, O mortal, do not be afraid of them. And do not be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns surround you, and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of their words. And do not be dismayed at their looks, for they are rebellious house. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. But you, mortal, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. I looked, and a hand was stretched out to me, and a written scroll was in it. He spread it before me. It had writing on the front and on the back, and written on it were the words of lamentation and mourning and woe. He said to me, O mortal, eat what is offered to you. Eat this scroll, and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. He said to me, Mortal, eat this scroll that I give you, and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it. And in my mouth, it was as sweet as honey. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Pastor Tim. Can these bones live? That is the question that I asked to the staff this morning after the time change. Can these bones live? That is the question, isn't it, though, Jeffrey? That is the question. That's the question, in fact, that God asks of the prophet Ezekiel. God asks that question to the prophet Ezekiel as he is standing in a valley of dry, dead bones. And if you ask me, if God had asked me that question, I would have said, you know, you're a little too late. You really probably should have asked that question when there was still skin on the bones and a beating heart inside that rib cage. That was really the time to ask the question, Lord. And I have to assume that God would rather work with flesh and bones and a beating heart. But I guess when hearts are hard, it's easier for the Lord to work with dry bones. Now, the valley of dry bones doesn't happen until Ezekiel chapter 37. That's towards the end of the book of Ezekiel. And this morning, the scripture passage you heard read is chapters 2 and 3. So right at the beginning of the book. 
We're just getting in. We're just dipping our toes in the waters of Ezekiel. And between chapter 3 and chapter 37, some really difficult stuff happens in the life of the people of Israel. Some really difficult stuff. The holy city of Jerusalem will be destroyed. The holy temple will be laid to ruins. And many, many more of the Israelites including Ezekiel's own wife, will go to join the Valley of Dry Bones. But for now, in chapter 2 and 3, at least some of those bones are still alive. They are people with flesh and bones and a beating heart, although they are a rebellious people. As Ezekiel is reminded over and over, they are people who are chasing after other gods for the promise of defying death as long as possible. Now, a little recap uh, of the story of Scripture that leads us up to the book of Ezekiel in the beginning. In the beginning, God created. Human beings are created, made in the image of God for the glory of God. They're supposed to be this visible representation of God in the world. But sin distorted the image of God in them, faded God's glory, and distracted people from God's order. And so God chooses a people, the children of Abraham and Sarah. God chooses a people who will live in their own land to be free from the distortion of sin and shine the glory of God in the world. Now, the problem is, is they're such a little nation They're a small people and they have to depend on God for their daily bread. There's other bigger nations all surrounding them that have big armies and kings, an arsenal of weapons, chariots. And Israel was afraid that one of these other nations would come and wipe them out. So a recap from Ezekiel chapter 1 that we looked at last week. What does God do in the midst of the threat of all these other nations? God showed Ezekiel a vision of the glory of God in a foreign land to prepare Ezekiel and the people of God for a future that is about more than mere survival. A future that's about more than mere survival. Now, I want to take a moment and have a little bit of empathy for the people of Israel. As, as preachers, we can often be really, really hard on the figures of the Bible that mess up and get it wrong. It's easier to be hard on them than it is to be hard on ourselves. So a little moment of empathy for the people of Israel. If they get wiped out by these other nations, I mean, if they just get pounced on, then what happens to the glory of God? Right, They were put in this world to be image bearers of God, to be a visible representation of God in the world. And if they get killed, if they get turned into, I don't know, a valley of dry bones, well, then what does that say about their God? Does that mean that, that death wins? So they run after other nations, they chase after other kings, and they chase after their gods thinking that they can still worship the Lord and have a little icon to say the God of Marduk up in their city just in case the Babylonians happen to stop by 
And maybe if there's a little bit of magic in that Marduk idol and they prosper like the city of Babylon, that ain't so bad either, right? I think that's probably how the thinking would have gone. So God sends Ezekiel to confront this rebellious people. God is going to give Ezekiel words to set them straight. He's going to bring the fire, right? He's going to bring the fire and set them straight. But first, God asks Ezekiel to eat a scroll. Um, I really hope that there was a little bit of hummus or maybe some Chick-fil-A sauce to help that go down a little easier. But he, he hands them this, this scroll and he's supposed to eat this scroll. What in the world does it mean asking him to eat a scroll? And, and then what the scroll is, it tells us it's a scroll of lamentation, which is a big word to talk about, like crying, mourning, suffering, a, a scroll of lamentation and mourning. In other words, it's the story of Israel's sufferings and all the times that they have cried out to the Lord. They have mourned and they have suffered as this small nation. And even they're lamenting, they're lamenting over some of the consequences that they brought on themselves. And Ezekiel has to eat this story of their suffering. He's supposed to eat their trauma, digest their distress. You know, it's probably not very fun to preach down fire and brimstone when you're facing real people whose story you know very well. I bet it's a lot more fun to just preach to nameless, faceless people that you can assume are all just a pack of sinners. I bet it's a lot harder when you know these people and you know their story and what they've been through. Here, Ezekiel has to carry their pain and their trauma. He understands the consequences that they brought on themselves and the ones that they did not. And Ezekiel now has to go preach to them with all of this understanding and all of the excuses that they have found for their rebellion along the way. We find all kinds of good reasons for excuses, uh, excuses for our rebellion when Tim and I were living in Chicago, um, we got actual snow there, not like the kind we get here in Nashville, like snow that just hangs around for a really long time. It was the winter of 2010, and we got hit with this massive snowstorm. It dumped at least three feet of snow in a very short amount of time, and that's a lot of snow. It's a lot of snow, and it hangs around the city for a very long time. And we were living in the church parsonage, which was right across from the parking lot of the church. And, and so it was all a part of one giant lot, and the sidewalks went all the way around. And so the sidewalks of the parsonage were at least 100 yards of sidewalk. I mean, it was the corner lot, and, and it was really, really a large lot. And so this huge snowstorm has come through. We're both from California. We'd not done a lot of snow shoveling in our life, but we had this, this little snow, I mean, just a typical snow shovel you pick up from Ace Hardware. Well, the church had a snow blower, one of those that's like perfectly fitted for the sidewalk that you just run. I mean, that's how you shovel snow in Chicago. That's how you get it done. Well, the, the snow blower was maintained, operated by the church handyman. 
we had an interesting relationship with the church handyman. Uh, there had been a lot of frustrations, probably some miscommunication over the time. And, and this big snow comes in and uh, he's out snow blowing the churches, all the churches walkway and the sidewalk around the church. And as soon as he gets up to where the parsonage sidewalk starts, he just stops. And so I went and said, hey, I, I noticed that, that you didn't uh, clear the sidewalks around the parsonage. That's fine. Could we borrow the snowblower so that we could clear our walkways around the parsonage? To which he said, oh, no, 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 I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to it. Well, I worked with him long enough to know what I'm going to get to it means. Uh, and so I, I get out there in every layer of clothing that I had, and I get our hand shovel and I'm out there, and now then, the snow that was three, now it feels more like four feet, maybe even pushing five. Uh, I, I get out there with my hand shovel in the, the sidewalk, and I start shoveling. Now, to shovel that much snow, it, you can't just get one scoop at a time. It's like three scoops for every foot that you have to go. And I've got about 100, let's say 150 yards, all right? got about 150 yards now that we've got a shovel around these sidewalks. So I get out there in the middle of the day, all my layers, I'm shoveling this, I think it was, I think it was six feet of snow at this point. And, and Tim opens up the door and comes out on the front porch and sees me out there just huffing away at all of this snow. I've got 200 more yards to go. And he says, Shauna, what are you doing? You cannot hand shovel these sidewalks. Just wait for them to get out the snowblower and blow the snow. He said, why are you doing this? Now, had I been honest with myself, the real reason I was doing it was because I wanted people from the church to see little old me out there with the hand shovel because somebody didn't want to take the church snowblower all the way around the property. That was the honest to goodness reason that I was out there. But what I said to Tim was, the children have to walk to school on these sidewalks. I'm doing this for the children. So to this day, whenever one of us does something and we're not being honest about our motivations, you know, like putting that extra bag of Oreos in the shopping cart, we just say, it's for the children. <laughs> we are doing this for the children, all right? So Ezekiel has now understood the honest story of Israel. Not the one they've been telling themselves where they're saying, hey, we're doing this for the Lord, right? I'll bet there was a lot of this is for the Lord. We are God's holy nation. We must survive. We can't let these bigger nations pummel us. I'm sure we put up a little prayer, our altar to Marduk, but really I'm doing this for the Lord. Sure, I've been cheating a few widows who buy grain from me, but if I prosper, the Lord is blessing me, so I'm doing it for the Lord. Ezekiel is about to tell them the real story of the Lord. They've been telling their own story 
just hitting the highlight reel of all the great, mighty acts of God. That's been the story that they've been telling themselves, how good God has been to them. And Ezekiel is about to tell them a story not marked by all the great and mighty acts of the Lord, but marked by all of their rebellious moments, getting honest with them about their own rebellion. And it is not going to be received well. No one likes to hear a critical version of their history. We all want the history to hit the high notes. When I give my year-end report, I don't tell all the times that I failed throughout the year. But when we hear the history of Christianity even, we like to focus a lot more on the faith of the martyrs than the hypocrisy of the church that killed them. In fact, some of those martyrs got killed for being critical about the church. See, storytelling is formational. The stories that we tell form us and shape us. And Israel had been cruising on the highlight reel of the storyboard for so long that it has blinded them to their own rebellion and they can't even see it anymore. Ezekiel is going to practice some formational storytelling. He's going to tell them a a different version of the story, and they are probably going to reject it. They are not going to like to hear this version of the story. And God prepares him for this. God knows that this is going to happen. And so in verse 7 in chapter 2, he says, You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. That means that Ezekiel's faithfulness is measured not by the response of the people, but by the obedience to the Lord. I feel like we need to unpack that, but I don't want to. This is so powerful and so important, especially for us today living in this moment. Your faithfulness is measured not by how popular the message is, but by your obedience to live it and speak it. That's how your faithfulness will be measured, truly. But oh my goodness, that can also be a really sly cover for our rebellion. It can be a great cover for us to lash out at people who have a different version of the story than we do because, hey, it doesn't matter if you like it. It doesn't matter if the message is popular. I mean, it can give all of us a green light to let loose and set people straight, to bring down some fire and brimstone, scorch earth, baby, because it doesn't matter if people like it. I mean, can you imagine just sitting down at your computer on Facebook? I have got to blow up this comment section. I'm doing it for the Lord, right? It is not a coincidence that Ezekiel was called to be a priest before he was called to be a prophet which means that before he's given this prophetic message to preach, he is given a people to serve. So he's not going in and dropping truth bombs from afar. He is exiled with these people. 
He has eaten the script of their pain and their trauma. He has lived through this nightmare with them. But God has helped them to see something that they cannot see. God has helped them to see their rebellion. He has seen their rebellion, this negative, critical version of their history where they have consciously or unconsciously turned away from the Lord, failed to love God with their whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and failed to love their neighbor as themselves. And it's rebellion Rebellion, as I see it in the Old Testament, the way Ezekiel's talking about it, is an act of refusing to submit to authority and resisting the existing rule, which can be tricky, right? It can be tricky to just have a blanket statement about all rebellion because we see some rebellion right now among some of the Russian soldiers who are rebelling against their authority and existing rule by refusing to participate in the slaughter of Ukrainians. I mean, and it has been powerful to watch some of this on the news and to witness the bravery that so many folks have had in situations that I cannot even imagine. Rebellion can be seen in different ways. In, in addition, there sometimes can be spiritual abuse when someone is told that they have to submit to the authority of God, but really that's a veiled way of saying, you have to do what I say, right? Like That's something we have to be really like, don't rebel, you have to submit to the authority, but really we're talking about the authority of humans. And that's a tricky thing as well. So understand that talking about rebellion is tricky here. But Ezekiel is a priestly prophet, not a spiritual bully. He is a truth teller. He is speaking about the rebellion that we participate in when we refuse to submit to the authority of God by resisting the rule of loving God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving our neighbor as our own self. Now, the world practices rebellion as a means of pursuing freedom and justice. Because sometimes it feels like for the world, that's all we have, right? It feels like that can be the only way to pursue freedom and justice. This can be true on both sides of the political aisle here in the U.S., whether it's semi-trucks rebelling against vaccine mandates or doctors and nurses rebelling against abortion laws. Now, for Christians, I'm not saying that we abandon these political spheres of influence, Because we want to see all life flourish. We want to participate in that from the womb to the tomb. But rebellion against authorities of government must be carefully and prayerfully discerned, recognizing that when we join rebellion, we're joining the ways of this world. And we cannot neglect the unique gift that God has given to the people of God called revival. You see, God has given us this unique gift that the world doesn't know about, this unique thing called revival. Revival is God's gift to the people of God for their renewal in God's image and the arrival of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Revival is what happens when God the Father asks, can these bones live? And for an answer, we receive the Holy Spirit. 
Revival are times in the church when Christians and non-Christians alike, they hear the word of the Lord. Even if it's a critical word, they really hear it. And they listen to the history of their own rebellion that they haven't wanted to hear in the past. And they become convicted of sin that is distorting the image of God and disrupting God's good order for flourishing life. And they repent Now, repent is a church word that means to turn. It means you've been walking in one direction, you realize it's the wrong direction, and you actually turn in a different direction. That's what repentance means. It is turning away. Repentance is a change of heart and life. Because repentance is when our heart gives up the rebellion and our lives reflect God's rule and reign. Now, historically, revivals hold together spiritual renewal and deepening with real compassion and social change that blesses neighborhoods and cities, like the Azusa Street revivals, where there was incredible worship service and people were giving their hearts to the Lord, and it left lasting impact on the streets around them where there were missions that were set up to continue serving the poor in that area. We sometimes call this holiness of heart and life, recognizing that we need to see both. And friends, we need to see both because sometimes claiming holiness of heart when our life is not bearing the fruit of the spirit is just an excuse for our rebellion. And on the flip side, claiming that all we really need to do is act in a way that's loving towards others while neglecting our own heart It's just making an excuse for our rebellion. And revival, revival teaches us that God can do more with dead, dry bones than a beating, rebellious heart. Can you let your guard down just long enough to search out any rebellion in your own heart? Can you let down your guard to really invite the Holy Spirit to examine if there are corners of rebellion that you have been protecting and excusing, places where your life is not witnessing your love for God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, where you are not loving your neighbor as yourself which, by the way, assumes loving yourself because you are not junk? Is there something that you have been doing that is for the children or for the Lord, but it's really just a clever way to hide your rebellion? I know it's hard to let your guard down. I know it is. I mean, what happens if if you get vulnerable with the Lord with your beating heart, if you admit that you have been wrong about something and you offer up a beating, rebellious heart and you get hurt, I mean, what happens then? Because a beating heart is still vulnerable to death. At least dry bones can't get hurt, right? And God will work one way or another, but wouldn't you rather offer up your heart than your dry bones? 
If you're not sure this morning, if there's rebellion in your life and heart, can I just encourage you this week, sit down with the word of God. Find scripture. If you don't even know where to go, Bible Gateway. Dot com. Super simple. It's got the whole word of God right there. Sit down with the word of the Lord this week and eat the word. I, I, I'm not just talking about, I mean, really, don't just read it. Don't just skim over it like you skim through the scroll in the morning on your iPhone, right? Like eat the word, drink it in like you are thirsty, eat it like it is a feast for the hungry. Take it in and let it change you. Hold your life up to the word of God to see if there is any rebellious way in you. Ezekiel eats this scroll of lamentation and mourning, of suffering and pain. He eats the script of their rebellious past and the word tells us that it is sweet as honey. It is as sweet as honey. I think Ezekiel here is probably borrowing from the Psalms that says that the word of the Lord is as sweet as honey, meaning that this might be a really hard and difficult word to swallow, but it is the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord, friends, even when it's a hard word, even when it's a difficult word, when it's the word of the Lord, it is for your favor. It is for your good. It is for your blessing and not your cursing. It is for life giving and not life taking. So it's okay to be vulnerable with the Lord and to let your guard down and to eat even a really hard word because I promise you it will be sweet as honey. This is for your good and not for your cursing. Parker and Brad are going to come and they're going to lead us in a closing song. It's not familiar to some of you and it is familiar to others. It's really a song about repentance. It's, it's a song about returning. Returning is another great way to think about repenting, right? Because it means that there's somewhere we need to return to. We've been headed in a different direction and we need to return as they lead us in this song, whether it's familiar to you or not, if you don't know the words very well, feel free to sit and read them on the screen. Let these words be your prayer today. As we return to the Lord, turn our hearts, offer up our rebellious hearts, even while they're vulnerable and still beating. If you feel so moved and called, would like to come and find a place of prayer here today, to give up the rebellion. To say, Lord, I surrender. I'm not going to fight anymore. I'm not going to rebel anymore. I give up the rebellion, Lord. And I'm offering my life to reflect your rule and reign. God, that's a really good place to do it. Let these words be your prayer, even if you don't have the words for prayer today. As we ask God, to take our hearts and do with them more than we could ask or imagine. Thanks for tuning in. 
If you'd like to join us on campus next week, we have discipleship classes beginning at 9 a.m. followed by service at 10.30. That service will be streamed to Facebook Live. We hope to see you there.